Hello and welcome to Holistic Health Chats, a podcast where we chat about all things holistic women's health and everything in between. I'm your host, Selene Douglas, a women's health nutritionist with a focus on helping women to heal holistically and live pain and symptom free. I'm so happy that you've made your way here. Tune in every week so we can listen, learn and be inspired together. In today's episode of Holistic Health Chats, I am chatting with Robin Birkin, who is a fertility wellness educator helping type A women find calm, confidence, and happiness in their trying to conceive journey. I believe the two big S's, sleep and stress, are center stage in optimizing not just our physical health, but also our mental health. Every day when I speak with clients in clinic, it's increasingly clear to me that stress is an issue for nearly everyone. And it can feel really hard to take action because stress is somewhat intangible. Robin shares the key reasons why we are so stressed, as well as three free daily practices you can incorporate in your life tomorrow to reduce your stress and experience better physical and mental health. Hi, Robin, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I always love when I get to chat to another Aussie on a podcast. Yes, it's nice. It's always nice to connect with people as well from different fields and um, yeah, just get to have a nice conversation and learn about what you do. Yay. So today we are talking all about how stress affects the brain. Um, before we get into that, I'd love if you could start out so we can get to know we get to know you with two facts that most people don't know about you. So the first thing is that I wasn't actually born in Australia. I was born in Zimbabwe and we came here when I was about three, four years old. And, you know, Zimbabwe is an incredibly beautiful place. However, I also feel very grateful to live in Australia, uh, especially with everything that's happening around the world at the moment. Uh, And I, you know, especially the medical care that we receive. So very grateful to live here. But the other thing that most people don't know about me which is very random, is that I speak fluent Japanese. I lived in Japan for a year as an exchange student and it was one of the most incredible experiences. But, hey, random things, I speak fluent Japanese and I majored in Japanese at university amongst other things. I love that. Do you sp- still speak Japanese now? Um, not like on a day-to-day basis mm. and I have forgotten a lot. So it was about 20 years ago now, when I left Japan, I had level two proficiency, which is like the second highest you can get. I aced university because obviously I'd spent a year and my people that I went to school with, etc. no one spoke English. So I was put in the deep end. So I would say I'm still fluent, but my vocabulary is significantly lower. So I don't know if people, so when, if someone's speaking to me in Japanese, like it's flowing, I understand it, words flow out of me, but just not as many words yes. <laughs> as I used to know. Yeah. Yeah, I can relate. I um, grew up speaking two languages at home 
And Mm -hmm. I can, if I go back to France, it takes me a few days or a week or so and I get back in the rhythm of it. But if you tried to have a conversation with me now, I would understand what you're saying, but, you know, to reply and put a coherent sentence together would be another thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly the same. It takes me, you know, whenever I go back to Japan, give me a week and I'm right in there. It all comes back to me, but it's sometimes, yeah, these days it takes me a while. I tried to send a message to one of my friends the other day and I like the you know the audio message on Facebook and I was yeah. like oh that was a rough day <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely um so I'd love if you could share with us a bit about your story and how that's led you into what you're doing at the moment in your business absolutely so and I know that so many people can relate to this story I I'm the eldest child. I'm a Capricorn. Like type A is written all over my (laughs) forehead. And I was always like, had to be a high achiever at school, had to do like a double degree at university, had to go on exchange to Japan, all of the things. Went on a whirlwind trip around the world with my husband, came back right when I turned 30. So massive cliche, right, let's have a baby. And Rather than being the person who was like, eh, we'll just casually try, I was like, I'm going to see a naturopath, I'm going to track my ovulation, I'm going to do everything by the book to make sure this happens. Well, it was the rudest shock ever when we did not conceive the first month because I had checked all the boxes, classic type A. Month one, I was like, oh, that's unexpected. By the end of six months, I was an emotional wreck. Mm. Uh, My to-do list of things that I thought I needed to be doing to try to conceive was out of control. uh, My self-confidence was completely, well, at the time I thought at rock bottom. And I I was at a loss. I was starting to sink lower and lower emotionally. got two years into trying to conceive. We'd been at a fertility clinic. We were doing IUIs, progressing forward, and I was doing my first IVF cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and up until that point, like I said, I was thinking lower and lower emotionally. I had quite a high demanding job. And every like my coping mechanisms at that point were push through, Like just keep hoping that this month is the month I'll get pregnant and then, you know, any of the stress or despair that I'd been feeling would just melt away uh, because then I'd be pregnant and it would all be like a dream and everything would be perfect. Uh, And I just had to be strong. Like I just had to keep powering through even though deep down there was this real low-level anxiety that was kind of building and building. First IVF cycle, I had a complication called hyperstimulation, which just basically means that, My ovaries went gangbusters and there were so many sort of eggs in there. My body didn't like it. And then what happens is, I mean, when when you go through IVF, they start off with with hyperstimulation. Let's try and build up as many eggs. Most women will release one egg a month. Hyperstimulation, they're like, let's just pump you full of like estrogen get as many eggs, then we'll you'll go under surgery, we'll take out all the eggs and try to fertilise them. And so then what happens is all of a sudden you've got surgery, you've pumped up your ovaries, you know, to like what feels like two big grapefruits inside you. They take it out and then 
hyperstimulation is when your body just can't cope and so it just keeps filling your body with more and more fluid. So I had seven kilos of fluid around my abdomen and I was quite slight at the time. So I was only, I only weighed about 56 kilos um, and it was a lot. I could barely walk. I felt awful. I just felt so nauseous all the time. I could barely breathe. So my like stomach was right up like near where your heart usually is because they're like where else are we going to put seven kilos but turns out I was pregnant so here I was feeling really really awful but silver lining it was all worth it because I was pregnant until the day that they told me that the pregnancy wasn't viable so here I was just trying to keep my head down bum up and keep powering through in the pursuit to fall to get pregnant. I had spent thousands of dollars. I had now spent two years so emotionally invested. I'd been withdrawing from my friends. I'd been withdrawing from my life. I'd been trying so hard to just focus on work. And actually the complete opposite of what I had wanted had happened. And I said to my husband one night in bed, I was like, you know what? I can cope with needing to do IVF. I can cope with hyperstimulation. This is a step further than what I feel like I can cope with. Like I'm broken now and I thought I was at rock bottom before. Now this is a whole new level of rock bottom for me. And I honestly didn't know how I would cope. I didn't know if I had even the strength to go through with any more cycles. Uh, and I know I work with lots of women who have been trying to conceive for five years. I work with lots of women who have had so many losses and it just, it takes so much. I always admire their strength. It took two years and a miscarriage after my first IVF cycle to really break me. Um, and so we ended up taking the, sometimes you need the breakdown before you have the breakthrough. My breakthrough moment was I could not cope. Like I had become so, I guess, hopeless and sad that I just could not focus at work. I felt like I had tears welling in my eyes all the time. I felt like it was written all over my face. And I was usually a really open book about our journey. I could, I just couldn't find the words to even tell the world what had happened outside of our parents. Like we didn't even really tell our sisters or other siblings. Um, and so we just, we were like, you know what, we're going to rush through passports and just go to the middle of nowhere. We went to Lombok in Indonesia, not the north of Lombok where there's the touristy parts. We went south to Kuta, Lombok, then got on a like van that took us to the middle of nowhere, actually nowhere. There were We stayed at a surf resort uh, and all there was was like a traditional village there. This was, I'm the type, like, we went to Vanuatu to get married and I'm the type, we were the type of person who, people who were like, in the morning, we're going to go on these buggies. <laughs> then for lunch, we're going to go to this place. Then we're going to go on a sunset cruise. When we went around the world just before we started trying to conceive, we did like 
two days in every location. That like that was the kind of person that I was. I was always on the go. I would listen to podcasts at 1.5 speed. Oh my god, I was just doing that and I made myself put it on <laughs> one because I was like, no, Selene, this is not good. Yeah. <laughs> I, that was the person I, I was like constantly on the go, on the go. Well, I could not do that where I was. There was no Wi-Fi at this place. There was no shops. There was no tourist attractions to go to. There was like a pool and then they had the staff that did massages once a day. And I never, I never, I was talking to someone just yesterday, I never ever used to like massages. I was like, what's the point? Get to the point. What, you know, I'm such a different person now. Um, But this was this moment where I was like, I actually am forced to rest. I am actually forced to feel these deeply uncomfortable feelings. And wow, were my eyes, like I was just brought right back to reality when I saw that the people in this village like had basically one bedroom. They weren't really huts. They were made like still out of concrete, but they were basically one bedroom. There was no carpet or anything. It was just bare concrete. And everybody in the town bathed in a communal man-made dam. Um, and this isn't to say, you know, like, wow, I really, you know, I mean, I did realise how grateful I was. It's not to invalidate what I was going through, but it also just snapped me back to, whoa, hang on, like what's going on in my life? What am I doing? How, am, like the way that I've been coping, the way that I've been got, there's got to be a better way than sinking lower and lower and lower because in actual fact, if if I really want to make this happen, the reality that I needed to face was that this could take years more. It's I can't keep saying to myself, I'm just going to cross my fingers, hope that I'll get pregnant this month, invest all of my emotional energy into that and then crash really hard at the end of every month. Like it just wasn't a sustainable way to do it. And it was just this wake-up call. It, nothing magically changed when I went on this holiday other than that it forced me to reassess. But it was the start of this process that made me realise that there's got to be a better way, that trying to be strong, et cetera, is actually not a healthy coping mechanism, mm-hmm. that if we break a leg, you best believe we will go to the doctors and get it fixed. Yet here I was at the very lowest part of my life. It was affecting every other area of my life, my relationship, my work, my physical health, my friendships. All of these areas of my life were affected, yet I I didn't incorporate anything into my day-to-day routine. Mm-hmm. I, you know, so it then it was this slow process of saying, okay, well, what actually do I need to feel okay? to feel like I can cope. Uh, And then fast forward, one day I started a a podcast because someone said, you should start a podcast. This was several years ago. I went, okay, I did it. Then I, you know, became a life coach, mind-body practitioner. And, you know, the statistic, there was a study that was done. um, I think it was a large Danish study that showed that 76% of women Referred for IVF show significant symptoms of anxiety. Mm. The majority of fertility clinics 
don't provide any support for this whatsoever, even though it's such a big problem. And society kind of has this stigma around mental, like we brush our teeth every day. If we break our leg, we'll go to the hospital. Yet there's no mental health ed Mm. at school. No one's learning true resilience skills. And I think that's really come to the forefront in the last two years as well. Actually, this is big. Uh, And I was reading even today that Dr. Bruce Lipton, who is a Stanford researcher, says that up to 95% of illnesses can be traced back to chronic stress yeah it's really important that we learn how to do this and just because there is so much lacking for women with infertility because the things that I learned the things that I implemented on my journey had such a profound impact on every area of my life I've become so passionate about talking to people about how to cope through infertility and also how that can really benefit us, not just in terms of how we cope, but at a physiological level as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's such a huge topic, but it's interesting. Like I I have sort of a huge portion of my client base, but I do have a number of, as I was saying off air, IVF clients and certainly clients who um, are you know maybe not at that IVF stage yet but are doing assisted conception or whatever it is and I would say that I don't have the numbers in front of me but I know off the top of my head that a large portion of those are that type A yeah. um, person and I'm wondering if you see a similar thing as well. To some degree like your vibe attracts your tribe. True, yes, <laughs> very I'm true. A, um, I probably do attract a 100%. lot of type A clients, but research has shown that people who identify as a type A personality are more prone to um, anxiety-related illnesses, mm. uh, etc. And it's all I. I feel like it's also the way that we've evolved as humans. So I always use the analogy of a beige rock. Uh, You and I are cavemen, right? So let's pretend you are like a type B cave woman. You are easy breezy, like really laid back, not concerned with anything. And I'm super type A cave woman. You and I are walking along. And I always, when I picture this, I picture like the deserts of Colorado, okay? Mm. So we're walking along and we see this beige rock. You're easy breezy. You're like, nothing's going on. What a beautiful day. And I'm type A. I'm like, is that a beige rock or is that a mountain lion? Quick, let's run. That's a mountain lion. Here's the thing. 999 times, you're right. It's just a beige rock. It's not a mountain lion. But one time I was right and it saved my life. Mm. So our brains are always designed to want to keep us safe, to want to keep us alive and to want to, you know, like learn from past experiences so that we can maximise future pleasure and stay alive. Yeah. So the easy breezy cave woman would have possibly died before reproductive age because that one time out of a 1,000, actually she didn't survive because her brain was not on like threat alert. So that the type A cave women they survived because their brains would rather put them into (laughs) 
constant anxiety and threat alert than have them die. Yeah, I wish I was the easy breezy cave woman, but I'm definitely (laughs) the type A one. Um, I'd love to hear sort of what your thoughts are because I think stress in general, whether it be in the infertility space or just in general for all of us is such a huge issue. And it's something I'm always talking to my clients about. And I'm by no means, you know, sort of the angel of stress management or anything like that. It's something I'm constantly needing to rein in and work on. Um, But I'd love to hear from you, like, why... Uh, why are we so stressed? Why is it such a big issue? So it's twofold. So one of them is because of this like beige lion, let's call it the beige lion phenomenon, right? We have evolved for our brains to always be looking out for what could go wrong. Like have you ever had in your brain this constant scenario of worst case scenarios. What's the worst case, you know, scenario? I'm worried that this is going to happen. And research shows that something along the lines of 85% of the things that we worry about will actually never occur. Of for the 15% of people for which that worst case kind of scenario or the, the bad thing they're worried about occurs, 79% of them say that. It wasn't as bad as they thought it would be or it gave them some important lessons for growth. Mm -hmm. But that's how our brain is designed. So we have, no one ever questions their brain. Like we just sit there with the worries, et cetera, that we have. And what can happen is we have this area in our brain, like the threat alert system, the fire alarm in our brain is called the amygdala. Okay, this is like the the fire alarm that sets off the signal, danger, right? Let's put ourselves into fight or flight mode. Let's switch off digestion, switch off um, uh, reproduction, everything. Because if we're running, if I'm running away from this mountain lion that was in the rocks, actually, I don't need blood flow to my stomach or my uterus. I need blood flow, like pump it around my heart to get me running, right? So our body diverts everything when we're in fight or flight to this. And what happens is estimates say that we trigger the fight or flight system in our bodies about 50 times a day. And just think about how many people wake up to an alarm that goes beep, beep, beep. That's true. That's like stressful. You're waking up like, well, what time is it? I was asleep, you know. Um, and so we and so we we do trigger the fight or flight system in our brains fairly frequently. Okay, but there's two problems. Number one is in today's society, they're not life or death circumstances. We're not we're not running away from a mountain lion, right? Our bodies, are, you know, because of this, you know, type A, I guess, tendency or phenomenon, but um. We're just like creating these stressful experiences. Our brain is becoming more and more higher attuned to threats. And, our, you know, there's statistics that say that regular meditators, for example, have smaller amygdalas. They're so much further away from triggering the fight or flight system because of the practices they put in place. But the other problem, this is the big problem, When we're running away from a mountain lion and we get into our cave and, like, put a rock over our cave, threat's gone. The threat is, like, the threat's averted. Our body can say, right, let's return to homeostasis. Let's repair whatever damage has happened. Anyone listening to this podcast can probably relate 
doesn't matter what your circumstances are, that the stress we are under in today's environment does not have such a definitive end. Mm. COVID, infertility, work-related stress, feeling like we need to constantly give more and more and more to our jobs. The average mortgage used to be about three times the annual wage. It's now about 10 times the annual wage. We have financial stress. There's no definite end to this. It's almost like this ongoing process. And so our bodies are continually fighting against this process because, number one, we're so much closer all the time to triggering this fight or flight response. Our body, you know, has these dominant neural pathways you know, just like a well-worn path Mm. that you have. Let's say we're going through sand dunes and there's a path. You're obviously normally going to take the path rather than go right through the bushes. That's like our brain. If our brain starts to default to anxiety, to triggering our fight or flight, the more we do it, the more that path gets well-worn. And it's Mm. that's what our brain's designed to do, right? If there is a mountain lion there, We want to be conscious of that mountain lion. However, we know better. We need to start trying to consciously always bring ourselves back and implement daily habits, implement daily routines that will try and move us further away from triggering that fight or flight. So we need to consciously be walking through the bushes into calm as much as we can and learning how we can, when we trigger our fight or flight system, return ourselves into that homeostasis. Mm, yeah. And what are some of those, um, I guess, habits that are strength, strengthening the positive neural pathways that we sort of, we want to become more dominant? So the thing that I like to say is, so number one, you don't have to believe everything that your brain tells you. So I find that one of the biggest things that can help people isn't necessarily the meditation or whatever, it's actually just being able to hear your brain but not necessarily believe everything that it's telling you. But then we do come back to things like daily rituals. So one of the reasons, one of the reasons out of many why meditation works is because it stimulates the vagus nerve. Like it literally physically helps you drop into your parasympathetic nervous system rather than your sympathetic nervous system. So can you implement some kind of daily breath work? So maybe that's a guided meditation. Maybe it's like Ziva meditation. Maybe it's even what's called box breathing where, um, so think four, 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 like inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for four, um, hold for four, or even just taking some five big deep breaths at multiple times per day. One of the things I love to do is at traffic lights, for example, sit there and take that moment as a moment to do some deep breathing, right? Um, But there's also three, I have three daily habits that are really quick, really easy, that can be absolute game changers for anyone who is feeling like they are under incredibly stressful situations. So those are, number one is show gratitude. So you might sit around the dinner table or sit around the couch at night and talk about like, what are three things that I'm grateful for tonight? You might sit and write a journal. And this was the first thing that I started when I got back from this trip in Lombok. 
that was so quick to make a big impact on my life. And there's so many studies out there that show the benefits of gratitude. Um, 9-11 survivors, Vietnam vet survivors have been studied. They've been shown that when they can acknowledge the bad things in their life alongside the good, they have lower rates of PTSD. Okay. But what it also does is, you know, like I said before, so much of what we are worried about is things that have happened in the past that we actually can't change or worried about things in the future which are likely to not occur. Gratitude brings us into the present moment. So it's this real ability to just bring us back to where we want to be. And this is how, you know, I was talking about the well-worn path. This is how we start to forge new paths in our brain. It has to be a conscious step away from this fixation on the past and the future. Gratitude brings us into the present moment. But what it also does is it, once you do this for a little while and you don't want to just sit there and think about like, I'm grateful for my family, I'm grateful for my dog, I'm grateful to live in Australia, not just the big things. I want you to look for the really little things that are around you. So there was a butterfly today. Oh, my coffee smelt delicious today. Whatever it is, the tiny little things. And then what happens is after a while, you stop think you notice that you're not thinking so much about what's going on in the past what's going on in the future you're thinking oh what are the wonderful things I can see around me right now that I can write in my gratitude journal tonight <laughs> so you're constantly like bringing yourself back to hang on how can I switch this and change this around so that's number one is start a gratitude practice number two and this can be such a game changer Look at the things that are draining your energy. Look at the things that are giving you energy. Mm-hmm. So when we are in, for example, like lockdowns, that drains your energy, right? When you're going through infertility and you're at a fertility clinic like every day for blood tests, that drains your energy. What happens though, just natural instinct is we get put in these situations with things that drain our energy and we subconsciously, instead of either looking at how we can, you know, stop the things that are draining our energy, we also stop doing the things that were giving us energy. So an example of something else that can drain your energy is social media. Feels in the moment like it's so productive but you constantly need more and more and more to feel satisfied. Or there's actually just no real point where you go, "Mm." like you don't sit there and go on Facebook for five minutes and then go, "Mm, that was so satisfying. I feel really great now that I've finished that. It's like, what is there that's more? Or it's these constant notifications pinging that make you feel really anxious, right? So let's Maybe we're going to actually consciously set a small time for social media. Maybe we're going to set a time when we'll be actually prepared for anyone announcing a pregnancy or anything on social media. Let's let's park that, set some times, be conscious that that's something that drains our energy, okay? Um, what other habits do you have that do drain your energy? Maybe alcohol is one of them, right? So, It feels good in the moment, never feels good long-term, right? Versus the things that give you energy might be 
social connection or social support. So we go into lockdown, we're like, well, I'm on my own now. Well, no, maybe you actually need to reach out, make a conscious effort, shift what you're doing to find support. And there was a study that talked about coping mechanisms and gender differences between men and women who went through IVF. And one of the most positive uh, coping mechanisms for women going through IVF was seeking social support versus what another go-to coping mechanism for women that increased infertility stress was withdrawing withdrawing from the baby showers, et cetera. I will always tell people, if you do not have the mental capacity, if it's going to derail your mental health, don't go to the baby shower. It's just not a long-term strategy. Mm. So having a list, writing a list, what are the things that completely light me up? I had a client once who was like, do you know what? I freaking love salsa dancing. And so we said, Go join a class again. And she she was like, it's lighting me up. I I come back feeling so pumped. Another thing that we did with clients, and I find particularly with the type A's, we're wanting to absorb information all the time. So you would go in the car and we're listening to a podcast or an audiobook. We're trying to learn and absorb. However, then we get home and we're still feeling exhausted. So on the way to work, go ahead listen to the podcast, do the things. But on the way back from work, let's actually just leave this as some unproductive time and listen to some music that we love. Uh, and our brains want to feel safe. So why don't you listen to a playlist of your favourite songs but, like, only 10 songs, songs you know the words to, songs you know exactly, like, what's going to come up and what you're going to be served on Spotify. But when your brain knows what's coming next, when there's not that uncertainty for your brain, especially when the world feels really uncertain, adding that into your routine, that safety, that repetition, just having your brain know like this is what's going, this is what's going to happen next, there's no threat here, can be really helpful. So what kind of things? Writing a list. What are the things right now that are draining my energy? And instead of saying, well, what else can I cut out that will further drain my energy, look at, well, what are the things that really light me up? What can I add back in? Then the very last one, this is a game changer, just to be aware of how you speak to yourself. So let's say, so you have clients who are trying to make some dietary changes, right? Let's say, give me one, like, thing that you recommend that your clients do for their health oh my gosh it really depends on the person but I don't know let's say for example um we might be working on build your plate which is a concept that I teach to my clients which is around like just creating a really nice balanced plate and some people like bang get it done like it's really comes really easily and then others struggle quite a lot with that yep so let's say that you've got someone, they're really invested in, like they're not feeling great with their health. They really want to make some positive changes in the way that they're feeling. They're ready to build their plate. But then one moment, like just every, they're getting derailed. Everything is going wrong in their day. And for lunch, they have, I don't know, a chocolate bar and a piece of white toast with margarine on it. 
they've had, they've just had the worst day. If you were to, if they said to you, I've just had the worst day, I can't believe I've had this one meal that's gone, that's just derailed me, you would say to them, that's okay. You've had a really hard day. You know, perfection is a unicorn. Perfection doesn't exist. Um, let's just get back on the wagon. You know, it's always going to be a process. Um, but, you know, just do your best. Whereas in their head, they're like, I'm trash. Why did you do this? You're sabotaging everything. Now you've ruined the whole thing because of this one day. Why do you never finish this? You're trash. Wah. No way. <laughs> yeah. Like it's never productive for anyone Yeah, when we talk to ourselves like that. Yeah. It just makes us feel even worse. It makes us feel less motivated. So just watching how we're speaking to ourselves in comparison to how we would speak to a best friend, mm, mm, right? Yeah. How, you know, if, if you fall off the wagon, if you have a bad day, if you have relationship issues, whatever it is, instead of defaulting to I'm trash, I'm ruining everything, being our best friend and talking to ourselves either the way that we would speak to a five-year-old child who came to us with a problem or if we were our own biggest cheerleader and our own best friend, how would that sound like to ourselves? Yeah, definitely. And something I get my clients to do is because that often is a common scenario. They'll come back to me and I say, how are you going with X? And they'll be like, oh, not, look, to be honest, not very good, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, over the last week, what actually happened? And we nutted out and then they're like, in the end, it's like one day when everything went pear-shaped, right? And then six out of seven days were amazing. And I'm like, so well, now that we have the evidence, it's actually not true what you're saying about yourself. Yes. And that also then helps to build confidence and they're like, oh, okay, I actually did a lot better than I thought. And it's so common that someone will come back to you and say they did terrible and they didn't follow it and blah, 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 blah. And then you actually get into it further with them and they did incredible. Like they did a great job, right? Yes. It's very Perfection common. is hard. <laughs> For sure. Perfection is really, um, and I always say, I, I say two things. I always say perfection is a unicorn. Yeah. Like it doesn't exist. It's so hard to be perfect every time, 100% of the time, but also progress over perfection. Mm. We need to try and bring ourselves back to the progress that we're making. Yeah. Uh, and the reality is, you know, when we have health issues, fertility issues, we're trying really hard already. Um, and, you know, the fact remains that when we aren't very nice to ourselves, it actually is not productive. It's not helping us at all. We all know that positive reinforcement is a much more effective way uh, to help other people get results. So we need to do that for ourselves as well. Yeah, 100%. And I like what you touched on earlier, and I guess this is in the same vein about not always believing your brain, because I think I actually saw you maybe post about this recently on Instagram that with the whole, um, I guess, uh, what's the word, like self-development and everything where being fed messages, which I think, it, you know, there's two sides to the coin. It's great. We do need to be more positive and all of that, but you're going to think dark, weird things sometimes and you just don't have to believe some of the stuff that you think. You can just acknowledge that, okay, my brain's just having a little moment right now. That's I, I can move on from that and actually change those thoughts to something else. And just because you thought a negative thing doesn't mean that's actually going to happen. Yeah. And I mean, if we think this, I think this is also what I posted is 
everybody had like, so you, um, this is exactly the way that our brains are wired. Your brain is wired to constantly be looking at what could go wrong. Mm. So your brain is constantly wired to be like, oh, this is not going to work. You know, like, what if this doesn't work? What if this happens? What if that happens? That's your brain's job, mm-hmm. right? But like I said, something like 85% of the things that we worry about don't actually come true. But so many people, you know, there's been so much, you know, the what is it called? The the secret with the law oh, of attraction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like it's only given us 50% of the story, right? So if your brain thinks about like what, you know, this terrible scenario that could happen, number one, that's natural, that can tick. Your brain is doing exactly what it is meant to be doing. But also if just thinking a negative thought could make it come true, then surely the opposite would be true and just having a positive thought could make it come true first. And if that's the case, I would be a freaking millionaire with a private (laughs) jet uh, who had a private chef cooking all of my meals. And unfortunately, that is not true uh, at this phase in my life. So just, you know, it takes a little bit more than just having negative thoughts. Uh, So it's really hard when we expect that of ourselves as well. And yeah, it's like we have those affection, right? That's what yeah. we're expecting. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it's actually really, you know, congratulations, you're a human being if your brain thinks about like negative things. And a huge proportion as well of what your brain thinks about is exactly the same thing that it thought about yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's around the vicinity of about 80% as well. That's just what your brain is meant to do. So you're human if you have negative thoughts and just having, it takes, you know, it takes inspired action on a few other things to actually make um, you manifest the reality that you don't want. 100%. Yeah, definitely. So to summarise, those three daily rituals are breathing and meditation. Um, So the three daily things, number one is starting a gratitude practice. So whether that's writing down three things that you're grateful for every day um, or like, you know, talking with your partner over dinner about like, what am I grateful for today? Number two is looking at your energy drains and your energy gains. And number three is watching how you speak to yourself. Like even just the the conscious awareness that you do it. Um, But in terms of daily rituals, you know, I guess we could say that it's number four, but that breath work is one way that can really start. If we can do breath work at mo- even just for short periods at multiple times per day, that's how we start to really rewire the way that our brain is working. Mm-hmm. And that is how when, you know, we're stuck in fight or flight mode and it doesn't end, that's how we can end it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you can literally feel it straight away. I mean, honestly, even if you just do something as simple as, the box breathing, it's nearly instant that you feel your heart rate lower and you feel yourself sort of, for lack of a better description, like come back into your body and sort of be present. Yeah. And here's the thing about all of, but you know, so when we're talking about dominant neural pathways and, you know, our brain forging these strong paths towards like setting off the fire alarm in our brains, 
that says nothing about what to do in the oh shit panic moments. It's all about what you do in the mundane everyday days where everything seems perfectly fine, that you strengthen those muscles, right? You can't train, you can't just walk out the door and say, I'm going to run a marathon today. Mm-hmm takes that training to build up that fitness. And it's the same with your mental health. What you do in the mundane, the habits that you start in the day to day, that's what's going to help you when the ish hits the fan on particular days to actually feel like, number one, you're not tipping yourself into that, you know, big anxiety um, phase, but then, you know, feeling like you have the ability when you do get into that phase to cope with it because it may not be as intense uh, as what it might have been before. Yeah, that's all really good habits. And then just lastly, I wanted to go back to the gratitude just very quickly. Is that a bit like, you know, you said that noticing the small things over and over gets you, I guess, into the habit of taking time to smell the roses essentially. And is that a little bit like, I know I've heard a lot talked about the reticular activating system in the brain is like the more that you say, kind of like the whole phenomenon of when you decide you want that car, you Mm -hmm. start to notice it everywhere. Is it a little bit like that? The more you practice gratitude, you start to notice Um, it more? I guess in some ways that the thing to know about the reticular activating system, and this is what I say to women, all the time who feel like everyone around me is getting pregnant. Every cele- every time I go to the shops, oh, yeah. all I see is pregnant women all of a sudden. Like every- why is every single celebrity getting pregnant? Um, and what the re- So our brain has something along the lines of 70,000 thoughts per day, right? Mm-hmm. And actually 95% of what's going on in our brain is in our subconscious. So if we were conscious of absolutely everything that our brain was processing at any given time, we would be in complete sensory overload. Like you would not be able to function as a human being. So your brain decides, okay, what what information does she want to know? Like your brain doesn't know what is true, what is false, what do you want, what do you not want? Your brain believes everything that you tell it. You don't need to believe everything that your brain tells you. And the reticular activating system is one really good example of why this is true. Mm. If your brain, if you have the belief or the story in your brain that everyone around me is getting pregnant, your brain's going to be like, she wants to see that everyone around her is getting pregnant. <laughs> so when it's when it's looking around, it's on like alert, mm. right? So similar to gratitude that your brain's like, this is what she wants to see. So this is what I'll show her. And conveniently, like the rest of all the women at the shopping centre are just going to be in the subconscious. Mm. So same thing when we look at when your clients say, I've had the, I've just, my diet this week has been the worst because they've got this thing like I'm failure, like I'm not, mm. I'm not making progress. So, you know, I'm, the diet things don't work or maybe they have the story that I'm not good at following through. Your brain's like let's find evidence that she is not good at following through. So all you do <laughs> is see the evidence that, you, that you, you know, essentially you yeah. are wanting your brain to see. So when we do a gratitude journal or something like that, it's, it's this whole process of, Let's start shifting what our brain is being conscious of. Yeah. 
right? What is our brain going to make us conscious of versus what is just going to sit there in the subconscious and the stories, the beliefs, the kind of identities that we create around ourselves um, and the way that we're, you know, consciously perceiving our surroundings is what can influence what our brain is filtering through to us and what it isn't. Mm, Yep. Yep. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for explaining that. That's okay. And I think I've, um, I've loved this conversation today and I feel like, you know, although we've mentioned a few times that this is helpful for women experiencing infertility, this is just for everyone, right? Like these are things all of us can be doing and with the amount of stress that I would say nearly nearly everyone mm-hmm. uh, is experiencing nowadays, like these are really proactive and free things that we can all be doing in our day-to-day life. Yeah, and it doesn't take a lot of time either. So even if, you you know, if uh, there's a form of meditation called Ziva meditation, which suggests that you meditate for 15 to 20 minutes twice a day, even if you just do a few box breaths, Mm. that actually doesn't take a lot of time. Just, you know, shifting that consciousness around what am I grateful for? Actually, is this draining my energy or is this giving me energy? Those things, like it's super quick and it's a lot of perspective shifts that can actually add up when we do it on a day-to-day basis to make really big shifts in the way that we're feeling and coping throughout whatever is going on. Yeah, 100%. Well, I've loved this conversation today, Robin, and I know that everyone listening will definitely get something out of it and hopefully they'll be able to integrate those practices into their day-to-day. I'd love if you could direct listeners to where they can get in touch with you or find out more about your offerings. Absolutely. So I have a podcast called The Fertility Warriors, and I talk a lot about stress. I talk a lot about our brains uh, and, you know, how we're coping through our emotions, how we're coping through really tough times and the things that we can focus on, the things that we can let go. Likewise, on my Instagram, I'm really active on Instagram and it's my name at Robin Birkin. So Robin is with a Y um, and Birkin is B-I-R-K-I-N. And so I talk a lot about, you know, the brains, stress, how that manifests in our body and the way that we're coping is everything that I talk about. Uh, And I have a membership for women with infertility. So it's called the Mind Body Fertility Reset. And we have all sorts of things in there. We talk a lot about how to cope through infertility, how to put in place some really easy daily habits and rituals for helping us feel calmer, more confident, make better decisions on our journey. Um, and, you know, when we look at social support as a really good coping mechanism, we built that in as well. So that's at robinberkin.com slash mindbodyfertilityreset. It's a really easy URL. <laughs> Amazing. I'll pop all of those in the show notes as well if anyone wants to go and have a look around. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Oops. Hang on. Sorry. I just. Thank you for listening to this episode of Holistic Health Chats. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you could leave me a rating and review in iTunes, as this allows me to help more women just like you. Holistic Health Chats is not intended to replace medical advice, so please consult with your practitioner before making any changes to your current health. If you are ready to take your health to the next level and would like some personalized support, the next step is booking in for a complimentary health chat. 
please head to celandouglas.com forward slash book for more information.